0: Okay, we're going to have our Bible reading now, so if you've got your Bibles with you, let's have it open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13 to verse 16. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay, you can grab a hardback black one on the ends of the pews, it's going to be page 1188, not that, one more page than that, 1188 is where we're going to be and it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13 down to verse 16. I'll give you a moment or two more, and then I'll read it. Okay. It goes like this. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. But the wrath has come upon them at last. Amen.
1: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, for those of you who we haven't met before, if you don't know who I am, my name is Peter. I'm one of the other pastors here at Bradfield and Ruffham. Um, I'm sure, again, if we haven't met before, you're probably thinking, this, this person's not from Suffolk. Um, not from England, um, as you can tell. I'm from the United States. Um, but that is not all that unique uh, within this church. However, last week I was um, at another church preaching, and I, I kind of got treated a little exotically, actually. Um, and they said, how did you get here? How did you get here? You know, I'm, I'm sure many of you may have gotten that question before. Um, there's a long answer that kind of, there's lots of different tentacles to it, and Matt James, and there was a Bible school, and then there was Liverpool and all these different tentacles. And I, I can go through that story, but there's also a very short version. And the short version of how did I get here was... About five years ago, I decided one time to not skip class once, five years ago. It all stems to one class I had five years ago. Um, It was after uh, most of my lectures were done, and there was a meeting um, for all the different majors at Bible College. And I was in the pastoral studies uh, department, and so there was just this meeting, sort of an information meeting, something that you can almost always skip. And so I was headed to my dorm. I, I was skipping, and it was fine. But then I thought, maybe, maybe I should go, you know? I, I, I am finishing Bible college this year, and I need to think about what I'm doing with my life in the future, so maybe I should go. And so, in that moment, when I was just about in my dormitory, I decided I'll turn back and walk towards um, where the meeting was. Sat through the meeting, very boring meeting. However, at the very end, uh, someone mentioned this new program starting up um, that would bring uh, United States, or American pastoral candidates over to the UK. Now, I didn't know what I was doing next, and so I was the only person who took any information on that program, which led me to the UK. Never thought about going, and if I'd never sat and heard those couple sentences about a new program, I would not be here today. We hear and we speak thousands upon thousands of words a day, but sometimes just a couple, a few words, a simple message, can radically change the course of our life. What have those few words been in your life? Maybe a friend mentioned that they had someone that they wanted you to meet, who's now the spouse sitting next to you. Maybe you picked up an information pamphlet, which is now your career. Perhaps it was a sobering diagnosis from a doctor. Maybe it was when your wife said she was pregnant. The letter came back from the university. You've been accepted, or we're sorry to inform you. received a phone call, we're facing cutbacks, or congratulations. There's been an accident. You need to move home. These are what I call hinge moments. Words have the power to redefine and recourt our lives. And so this morning, we're going to look at the Thessalonian church's hinge moment as sort of a case study of when their lives changed course dramatically. A man named Paul, who they had never met before, rocked up into the town of Thessalonica with a message And then he was chased out of town. Somehow, a stranger, with a message, changes their lives forever. And as we'll see, this turning point is not just a culmination of coincidences, but God himself is at work through the words of Paul in the midst of this unexpected hinge moment. And as we read, it's not just unique to the Thessalonians, but actually what we read is a template for ourselves as as well. God continues to work through his word. As we consider the Thessalonians' experience, we're given a window into three ways that God is going to work through his words. Three ways. What we say is our God is not distant from us. He's not stuck in the past, but he speaks to us as we've already heard. He's alive. The question for us this morning is, are we awake to see what he's doing? Or maybe better, are we alert to hear what he is saying. Before we jump in, would you please pray with me just one more time? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these your words. We thank you that w- your word is living and active. We trust your word to do the work. So I ask, would you give me clarity as I speak? So I already asked, we ask that we uh, humbly accept your words in the spirit of faith and receptivity. Um, And guide us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to jump back and let's reread verse 13 again. Verse 13 says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you, believers. So Paul starts this section off by thanking God because of the miracle of the Thessalonians' faith. And he begins this part of the letter just as he began it at the beginning of chapter 1. He even uses the exact same phrasing of verse 2 of chapter 1. We give thanks to God constantly, constantly. I think verse 13 is sort of a condensing of what what is said in chapter 1 into almost one verse. And that is, That when the Thessalonians received, when they heard Paul's teaching, they regarded it as the very living word of God. Not the words of men, but the words of God. Paul's message was not just another man's opinion. It was not another theory, another philosophy, another religion, another code of ethics. Paul was actually carrying God's word to them. Now that might sound like a very simple point that some of us might know well, but it's a point I want us to dwell on together. God works through his received word. God works through his received word. The real God who made the heavens and made the earth, the one who's upholding the universe as we speak, he is a speaking God. He can be heard, his message can be received. Our God speaks. Our God speaks. Well in the first century claiming that your god could speak was a very very loaded claim. Because at this time the people they would often go to different temples to pay worship and sacrifices to idols. Idols to try and communicate to these different gods, but the gods never spoke back. And throughout the Bible the biblical prophets constantly are sort of poking fun at these idols because of one reason, they can't speak. They're mute, lifeless, man made figurines. The prophet Habakkuk says this Of what value is an idol carved by craftsmen, or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Or Psalm 135 The idols of the nation are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Or as Paul says to the Corinthian church, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. A God who speaks is a real God. Throughout the Bible, we see that God works through his word. He even spoke the world into existence. Now, back to Thessalonica. Take a look at how Paul describes how they receive this message in chapter 1 verse 9 if we look back at what we've already seen. In verse 9 of chapter 1 we read, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. The Thessalonian believers have turned from lifeless, mute idols to the living, true God who speaks directly to them. Paul's making a very important point, and that is when God's word is preached, we are not just talking about God as an object, but God himself is addressing us as the subject. Our God speaks. Now, there might be two questions that we have kind of floating around in our heads that is, well, what is this word of God that they received? And how do we know when we are receiving and hearing God's word? How, how can we recognize his voice? Luckily, the answer to both of those questions are found in Acts 17, as we looked at a few weeks ago, when Paul comes to Thessalonica. So I'm going to ask you if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Acts 17. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. Um, but in Acts 17, verses 1 to 3, We're going to see the content of the word, but also the pattern of how God speaks. Again, this will be up on the screen. This is the story of what Paul's referencing in these verses in in 1 Thessalonians of what actually happened. In Acts 17, 1-3, we read this. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. Paul's message to the Thessalonians is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the promised anointed Messiah who had to suffer according to the scriptures for our sins, to die and then raise from the dead. Now we know Paul was, it says, for three Sabbath days. He was there for three weeks, so I'm sure he said much more than just this sentence. However, what we see is what the Thessalonians received is the content of the gospel. Jesus is the anointed one who had to suffer for us, die, be crucified, but he did not stay dead. He rose from the grave and he triumphed as a vindicated, justified man. He is the promised one to lead us back to God and grant us his resurrection, power, and life. That is what the word, the content that Paul is referring to. But we also see in this passage a threefold pattern of how God continues to speak this day. So first, we have the preached word. God God uses Paul's actual audible human words, to speak through a preached word. God uses our own words to speak. As it says in Romans 11, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God speaks through human mouths. The preached word. Second, we see the written word. God speaks in line with everything he's said in the scriptures. Paul explains according to the scriptures. Our Bibles today are a deposit of how God has spoken in history. Jesus himself, when he was being tempted in the wilderness by Satan, in Matthew 4, what did he say? How did he reason? He said, it is written. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But third, we also see that it is the revealed Word. God speaks through the preached human Word in line with what has been said in history in the Scriptures concerning the revealed Word, Jesus Christ. Jesus himself is the revealed Word of God. As John 1.1, 1, 1, many of us know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is that Word. Hebrews 1 starts, Long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. When the disciples are taking up onto the mountain in Mark's gospel, and Jesus transfigured, a voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Everything that could be said about God has been said in Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint. Now we see this threefold pattern of how God speaks throughout the book of Acts over and over and over again and throughout the entire New Testament. The preach word in line with the written word, revealing the true word of Jesus. As Paul writes even later to the Corinthian church, for I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, he preaches that Christ, the revealed word, died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. If some of you are lost, let me just put this as simply as possible. Our God really does speak today. And here's the point. God can be heard today when individuals open their mouths and they announce the good news of Jesus according to the scriptures. One Reformed theologian, John Calvin, put it this way, when a man has climbed into the pulpit, it is so that God may speak to us by the mouth of ...of a man. That's insane. (laughs) It's a bit terrifying for me right now. But this extends to all of us. You don't have to be standing behind a lectern on a Sunday morning. It also happens when mothers get into their cars to drive their kids to school... ...and they tell them the story of Jesus from the Bible again and again. It's when you go into work and you have courage to open your mouth... ...and say to your co-worker that you actually believe... ...that Jesus has risen from the dead. And when that happens... God's word brings rebirth, it rebukes, it heals, it corrects, and it saves. As Apostle Peter said, you've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. This is why at BRBC we are a people fiercely committed to God's word. We will joyfully allow it to have full, full say in our lives. We sit under it week after week. Not just because we want to be technical or because that's the kind of church we are, but we, beca- we, we do that because we believe God himself is addressing us. For some of us, this is a thrilling reminder. For others, it might feel burdensome and unsettling. But let me tell you why this is good news this morning. It's good news because we don't need to come up with what to say. If this is just discussing interesting opinions about stories that happened a long time ago in an old book, then we're going to run out of things to say. Churches with a low view of Scripture that abandon this threefold pattern, who speak their own words instead of God's words, are dying extremely fast. A charismatic leader might be able to sort of whip people up into a frenzy for a season and come up with some interesting, clever sayings, but it will get old very, very fast. The burden of speaking for a silent God is not one that we carry we trust and we submit to the word to do the talking for us. This is not what I, what, what I would have chosen to spoke on, speak on this morning. But thankfully, you don't need to hear Peter Mason's mindful wanderings. Our God speaks in his word. This morning, God is speaking to show you that in Jesus, you can build your life on a rock and not sinking sand. Since 1834, God's word has ruled and guided this church congregants, like all of us here, have come and gone. Pastors, like James and I, have come and they have gone. Most of those who have ever called Bradfield and Ruffin Baptist Church, their home church, have died. Everything fades and rusts. But thanks be to God, the Apostle Peter says, all flesh is like grass. All its glory is the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Our God speaks. We are still sitting in this corner of the earth today, reading this word and listening to the same God speak. God works through his received word. God works through his received word. But secondly, God works through his accepted word. Let's reread verse 13 in chapter 2 one more time. And it says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Now, you may have potentially agreed with everything that we've said so far, but some of you are thinking, I agree and I understand that God's word is alive and that God speaks, but it doesn't always feel like it's working. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you've received a a lot of God's word in your life. You've been around the church for a long time. You've listened to countless sermons. You have the podcast going during the day. Your morning quiet time is scheduled, but it just feels lackluster, as if somewhere along the way something's unplugged. You may have noticed that in this passage, there are sort of two aspects to the Thessalonians' faith in the word of God. First, as we've seen, they received the word, they heard the word from Paul. But then secondly, they accepted it, not as a word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. First, they receive with their ears. Then secondly, they accept that what they've actually heard is God's word to them. Well, these words receive and accept, they're very similar. There's a subtle but important difference in their meaning. To receive something, as was have already said, is just to hear it. We're all receiving right now what I have to say. But to accept means to appropriate or to welcome. As one commentator puts it, receiving is a hearing of the ears and accepting is a hearing of the heart. It's an act of faith. When someone first accepts the words of the gospel as God's actual word for them, that is what we call saving faith. And we see that taking place in the Thessalonian church. If you're a Christian this morning, at some point or another, the words that your parents uh, were telling you or your Sunday school teacher or a pastor or a friend, at some point you said those words are not just human words, that's God's word for me. And when that happens, we read in the end of verse 13, it is at work then in the life of the believer. When God's word is accepted, it works. The accepted word works. It begins to transform and to change you and mold those who believe it. However, it's not a sort of one and done type deal, right? Our entire life is a life of faith, accepting all that Jesus has done for us. So that every time we hear the word, we are molded and we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. But... But there's real danger that as we continue over and over and over to hear and to receive God's word, we fail to take the time to slow down and truly accept it into our lives. It can be very easy to sort of skate across God's word, learn a few new ideas, a few concepts, and think you've accepted it in faith. But I think what we see is just the mere reception of God's word does not guarantee its acceptance. It is possible to know much and to taste little. It's the difference between informative listening and transformative listening. Informative listening just takes concentration and time. Anyone, even a non-Christian, can study theology and understand what the Bible's saying. But transformative listening takes faith and a humble spirit of receptivity, hands open. So... How do we know if we're accepting the word or just receiving it? Let me just bring it down to this one phrase. um, And that is, mature believers are easily edified. Mature believers are easily edified. My question is, are you easily edified by God's word? If when you hear God's word, you're constantly thinking to yourself, well, I already knew that, or show me something new, That could have been a bit more clever. I need something rich and dense. Then I'll be fed. Then I'll be edified. That probably means you're not as mature in the faith as you think you are. It takes a lot to edify immature believers. But on the flip side, mature believers are easily edified. That is not to say that they're simple-minded or they don't have a significant understanding of Scripture and theology. Only that... They're able to easy, easily respond and accept God's word to them. When they hear God's word, they are easily they easily accept it. This is what I call response-able. They are response-able, able to respond to God's word easily. They can learn new complex ideas, but they can also be challenged and provoked and transformed by hearing God's word in whatever context, at whatever level. Why? Because it's God's word for them. We see this in the Thessalonian church. 2,000 years later, we're still reading about their example of faith to us. Granted, they got to meet Paul, but they only had formal teaching for three weeks. They didn't have years of Bible studies or commentaries or theology books or sermons like we have, and yet they accepted the word of God wholeheartedly. As we'll see, they were willing to suffer for it, and that's why Paul exclaims i thank god constantly for this the thessalonian church was easily edified easily built up they were a response able church sensitive and receptive to god's voice so when i ask are you response able do you have ears to hear this morning if you're here this morning and you've gotten into the habit of just letting sort of god's words sort of wash over you without accepting it if you feel like a sort of, there's a hardened shell from days or weeks or months or years without accepting God's word for you personally, my advice is don't try harder. The answer is not to try harder to believe. You know, I often hear people suggesting that we just don't believe it enough. If you just need to really work to believe it. But Paul doesn't point out to the Thessalonians reception and says, good job, you're doing it, you're receiving it. Remember what he says, I thank God constantly for this. Paul attributes their faith to hear and to accept God's word as a work of God. It is a gift of faith. The sheep will hear his voice. Therefore, when we feel skeptical or hard-hearted when we come to God's word, we do not try harder to believe. We come and we humbly ask God to give us the gift of faith to rely upon his word As true and trustworthy. As you said, ask and you shall receive. You might be thinking, Lord, these words are sort of just bouncing off of me. I don't see their relevance or their importance, but I come to you humbly and I ask, open the eyes of my heart as we've sung, and allow me to hear your voice. This is the act of faith, or as simple as, show me Jesus, please. Jesus himself says in John 6, this is the work of God, that you believe. In him who he has sent. And when we accept God's word, it will work in us. All we do is we come with a spirit of receptivity and humility. And we ask for the faith to believe that these words are his words. And when that happens, he's the one who gets a hold of us. And he's the one who molds us and transforms us. His word will do the work. As we see in the Thessalonian church. When his word is accepted, it will do the work. But finally, we come to the last point. Well, what happens when it's not accepted? Is his word still able to work or is it dependent upon our acceptance of it? Let's read verses 14 and 16 together. Starting in verse 14. It says, For you brothers became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. In these verses, we get a picture of the work that God's work is doing amongst all the churches and believers who have accepted it. The Thessalonian church sort of follows in the pattern of the church in Jerusalem, who follows in the pattern of Jesus and the prophets. When God's word is heard and accepted, we see it will bring persecution from those who reject it. When God's word is heard and accepted, it will bring persecution from those who reject it. However, however, God will still work through his rejected word. Hebrews 4 pictures the word of God as a sword that comes up, that image comes up often. The word of God is living, it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit. And in this passage, we see humanity is split into two categories, those who accept the word and those who reject the word. We see that it no longer matters what family or country or people group that you come from. Verse 14 says that the Thessalonian believers were being persecuted by their own countrymen, just as the Judean church was, were being persecuted by the Jewish people. While the word of God is an announcement of peace and forgiveness found in Jesus, it can also come as a, a violent attack upon those who reject Jesus as a savior. We often forget grace is violent. God's double-edged word is sharp. As Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set man against father and daughter against mother. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me, or whoever loves his son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. Whoever does take up his cross, though, and follow me, is. The announcement of Jesus will either be accepted or will be rejected. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, when this word is said, to one it brings the aroma of death, and to others the aroma of life. We see this division throughout verses 14. And in verse 16, we see that those who reject God's word, both by persecuting these new churches, just as those persecuted God's prophets in the Old Testament, and they killed Jesus, all their sins are being filled up for judgment. For they do not heap condemnation on their own head. But in verse 16, what are they doing? They're hindering, that's Paul and his companions, from speaking to the Gentiles that they would be saved. But remember, when Paul is speaking the word of God, who's actually, who are they actually hindering from speaking? They're hindering God from speaking. But if you try and hinder God from speaking, you're going to get in, in the way of the sword and you're going to get cut. The verse ends in verse 16, that God's wrath has come upon them at last. Some commentators believe that this is some sort of political event that happens later when Paul's writing this letter. That, that's very possible, but I think Paul is referencing God's condemnation of the Jewish people who he, has, who he says in verse 14. Now, let me say something before we move any further. This verse has historically been used to promote sort of anti-Semitic attitudes. I do not think that Paul is condemning the entire ethnic Jewish people here. That is not what's going on. He himself is Jewish in Romans 9. He says, if I, I would be willing to be accursed that my people... Would know Jesus. Paul has an extremely deep heart for the Jewish people, but he also recognizes that a large portion of them have rejected their Messiah and have done the opposite of their calling in life. They were, meant to, they were meant to be the mouthpiece for God to speak and bring blessing into the world, but here they're doing the exact opposite. They're actually hindering the Word of God coming to the ends of the world to bless the Gentiles, and they even killed the Messiah Jesus and all the prophets. When Paul mentions that God's wrath has come upon them, I think he is showing them that God is now opposed to all who reject his word, including the Jewish people. Everyone, the sword is the the judge. They're no longer safe from the judgment of the word of God. The word cuts across all people at all points in life. But we see, even when the word is rejected, even when the church is persecuted, as blood is spilled, as believers are imprisoned, it only builds the church faster. The word of God only multiplies multiplies faster and farther because of the persecution. This is the story of the book of Acts. We read over and over and over again the refrain, the book of Acts, and the word of the Lord multiplied, and it increased. In the book of Acts it begins in Jerusalem, and the word takes roots, but then persecution comes, and so they are dispersed. In Acts 8, we see more persecution, and the church is dispersed into Samaria. In Acts 11, the church is persecuted and is scattered into Antioch. In, verse thir- in Acts 13, more per- persecution, and then the Gentiles come in. It's just a matter of God's church growing. Over and over and over it goes. Those who reject God's word, who persecute the church, who follow in the footsteps of Jesus, the word of the Lord will be multiplied. Trying to hinder people from speaking the word of God to others only accelerates the speed at which God can save people. There's a famous quote in church history, which is, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Even by rejecting the word of God, you cannot thwart the work and the plan of God. God's word will not return void. Even the rejected word can save people. Even the rejected word can save people. God will do the work. It's powerful. It's a sharp sword, and even when it is rejected, it will have the final say, and, and it can save. In the center of this section, we see the rejection of the true word of God, Jesus Christ himself. He was rejected by his own countrymen, by his own people. Jesus Christ is the rejected word of God. He suffered according to the scriptures And he died three days later, or he died and three days later, he was risen from the dead. You cannot even stop the word of God by trying to kill it. Nothing can hinder his work. Even in his death and rejection, he was saving all those who would believe in his name. As the Apostle John writes, But to all who did receive him and believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. The question is, can you accept the words of God to you? In Jesus, God has spoken grace and mercy for your sins. He has spoken peace to your rebellion and joy to your sorrow. Although rejected and crucified, the word of God walks out of the grave and says to you, peace be with you. Having received this word, you are now responsible The question is, are you response able? His word is living and active. Let those who have ears hear and ask God humbly for the faith to believe. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Our God speaks. Let's pray together as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not a mute God, that you do not leave us to our own devices, but that you speak to us. You have given us your word, you've sent prophets among us, and you've sent Jesus, your full revelation to us. When we look at Jesus, we know what you're like. We thank you so much that you speak. We ask that you give us faith by your Spirit To humbly accept your words as actually your words. Teach us to be receptive and give us the faith to be responsible. So when you speak, you work in us and your glory is spread across the world. Lord, we ask for that faith. Now, as we sing, would you remind us that your word will bring life and joy to this world? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.